cue that fancy intro music. It's time to unleash your star power and own your dreams without selling your soul. It's time for some creative freedom. I'm Lisa Robin Young, and I'm a creative entrepreneur just like you. I'm also a business coach, helping people across the creative spectrum make great money doing what they love. If you're done with being the world's best kept secret and ready to shine like the star you are, creative freedom is for you. Let's get started. A longtime friend of mine came to visit Nashville recently, and I hadn't seen him in years. So I blocked off a day in my calendar and gave him the driving tour of some of my favorite spots in town, along with a smattering of history and a trip to the Parthenon, a scale replica of the Grecian Temple of Athena right in the middle of town. It is one of my favorite places, and I try to take all of my friends there at least once when they're here. As he often does, my friend paid me a compliment about my knowledge and tour guide abilities and probably a few other things that I could not receive from him at the time. And I poo-pooed nearly all of it. And when we were at lunch with my family, he turned to my husband and said something that really struck me. Why does she not see how talented and gifted she is? My husband shrugged, agreeing that I wasn't owning my talents and gifts, and I certainly wasn't accepting the compliment. Ouch. Hello, imposter syndrome. When Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, came out, there was a global conversation about imposter syndrome. In the former First Lady's interview at the Obama Foundation Leaders Asia Pacific panel in Kuala Lumpur, she described it like this, quote, when you're in a room and you're wondering, how did I get here if I've been told I'm not good enough? You feel like an imposter in your own life, especially if you've achieved success or you're in rooms that you're not supposed to be in because society has told you that you think, well, maybe somebody's going to discover that I shouldn't be here, end quote. There's a great clip of it online that I'll link to in the show notes, and I highly recommend it. It's just a few minutes, but it's a great explanation, and I'll be referring to it at least a couple more times in this episode because it's that good. So what is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome can be defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. So imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that may overwrite any feelings of success or any external proof of their competence. So make no mistake, I was feeling some imposter syndrome that day with my friend, and maybe you felt it too. Research suggests that many of us have experienced it at some point, and I'm looking at the National Institute of Health Research Report for those of you who like it when I cite my sources. And it's clear that much more research is needed, but I'm confident in saying it's definitely a thing a thing that slows or even stops a lot of people from speaking up or even being in the room where the action happens more than we'd like to admit. But sometimes there's something else going on that isn't imposter syndrome. It's an aspect of what I call the past over paradox. It's something that stops many folks, particularly marginalized voices, from speaking up out of fear of becoming a target. There's a big difference between self-doubt and the fear of being a target. When it comes to coaching, I know that I know my stuff. I know I am damn good at what I do. There is no self-doubt there. And in some rooms where a fat, older, mixed-race woman like me isn't always welcome, it can be intimidating or even a little scary to even be in the room, let alone to speak up or stand my ground on something that I'm extremely well-versed in. So yes, even after decades as a coach and an established business owner, I still face this from time to time. In short, if I don't feel safe, 
it's really hard for me to shine. So imagine then how much more difficult or downright dangerous it might be for someone that's genderqueer or brown-skinned or a part of a non-dominant religious group or someone who embodies all of the above. My husband and I were watching the uh, Hail Satan documentary the other day. And before anyone has a panic attack, it turns out to be completely different than you probably think it is. And I can't believe I felt compelled to say that. But that's an example of the Passover paradox at play. I don't want to become a target for people who see that title and start spreading lies without having even seen the film or read the synopsis, which I'll link to in the show notes if you're curious. But here's the truth. If you want to be the celebrity in your niche, as your star rises, you become a more visible target. That's part of the journey. There are very few celebrities who don't get their 15 minutes of tabloid fame for one reason or another. As you become more visible, you become more visible to everyone, lovers and haters alike. But there are some genuine safety concerns for some people, especially marginalized voices. It's Pride Month as I record this, and a truck full of armed extremists were arrested for conspiracy to start a riot in Idaho just ahead of a Pride event. Some of the police even got death threats for doing their job. It's incredibly hard to stand up and be visible when your life is very literally in danger. The catch-22 is that we need those voices now more than ever. How do we get to know those voices, to hear their messages, if they're not safe or they don't feel safe, to speak up? And that's what makes it a paradox. You want or even need visibility for the work that you're doing, and yet there's a very real chance that you'll become a target for the haters, cancel culture, or even a very clear and present danger to your own existence. That fear of being a target is what makes you slow your roll and what keeps you stuck when it comes to visibility. Today's episode takes a closer look at the differences so you can have a better idea of whether or not you're facing imposter syndrome or the past over paradox and ways to deal with both. And here's where I remind you to pop over to creativefreedomshow.com, log into the Rising Tide Learning Library, and download the companion guide that accompanies this episode. That's season seven, episode three, for those of you keeping score. And membership is free. All you got to do is register. Imposter syndrome is primarily about self-doubt. As Michelle Obama said, the feeling that you'll be found out or that you don't belong in the room despite your achievements. When you've won plenty of awards for your work, but you still doubt yourself or your abilities, that is imposter syndrome, and it comes in several flavors. Maybe you genuinely feel like you have a lack of knowledge or experience in a given room, like you're the rookie or the new hire in a room full of seasoned vets. It's normal and natural to have doubts in a room where there's reason to believe through verifiable data that those folks have more experience. But chances are good that they already know you're the rookie and they wouldn't have invited you into that room in the first place if someone there didn't believe you had the goods to contribute in a meaningful way. So that's one kind of self-doubt that may or may not be imposter syndrome talking. If you can't prove that the people in the room are any more credible than you, it's a pretty sure bet that imposter syndrome is having its way with you. Give yourself credit where credit is due. There's a reason you're being called to lead in this way. Maybe it's not a specific credential from an institution, Maybe it's something else. Fusion creatives are notorious credential collectors, but not all the types are. In fact, chaotic creatives tend to lean on their lived experience and understanding as much, if not more than, credentials they may have earned. Linears don't collect credentials per se, but often give more credit to folks with them than folks without them. 
Maybe your brand of imposter syndrome looks like passing off the awards and accolades you've been given as dumb luck. While luck and timing can contribute to the success of an individual, it's more often attributed to the fact that they were just willing to show up in the first place. One of the stories that I'm sharing in my book is one that was told to me by a good friend of a pretty famous singer. At least that's what she told me. She and this singer grew up together, had equally beautiful voices, and at one point went to an audition together. She told me that when they walked into the room, she was taken aback by how large the space was. As the singer on stage stepped down, a disembodied voice in the room called, Next, and her friend marched right up, introduced herself, and started singing. When she finished, that disembodied voice said, That's exactly what we need. Thank you. Everyone else can go home. So this friend never got to audition and eventually made her career as an engineer for an automotive company. The singer went on to win multiple Grammy Awards and a host of other music awards. So was it luck? Sure, but it was also the courage to go first, something this music superstar's friend didn't do. Because even after winning that audition, Anita Baker didn't have an easy path to success. Her label got bought, then they dropped her because they didn't think she had star power, Then she went back to a regular job and it took some coaxing for her to get back into music. And even then, the label she was signed to wasn't paying her properly. So she went to court to get out of the contract. All that rigmarole long before Anita Baker became a household name. So here's another take on imposter syndrome. You may be supremely confident in the work that you do, but that you personally don't deserve the praise because you're just doing your job like anyone else would that had similar experience. The firefighter who runs into the burning building and saves the child is a hero, but may downplay it and say, well, I'm just doing my job, ma'am. Sometimes that comes across as false modesty to others, which only makes you look like a jerk. So it backfires. Whoops. Sometimes you're just not sure about anything. You've worked hard, but maybe you haven't won any awards or accolades yet. Maybe you're just new to the room despite years of knowledge or lived experience. It can be easy to keep quiet in those situations too, to sit back and try to read the room. And indeed, there's a delicate balance between speaking too soon and not speaking at all. But that balance matters. So Taylor Swift, we've talked about her before, we're going to talk about her some more, started her directorial journey by accident, by what she called meddling, which then turned into editing and then ultimately into writing and directing her music video all too well. It took her 10 years to work up the gumption to do it because she wrongly believed that, in her own words... Other people do that, who went to school to do that. She finally got over it because she painted herself into a corner. All the female directors that she wanted to work with were busy, so she had to step in and direct that first music video. And Taylor fell in love with directing, and that's how that scarf song got turned into an extended music video movie, if you will, which never would have happened had she not started meddling 10 years earlier with just, you know, projects and tweaking. Two-time Grammy winner Sasha Cook found help for her imposter syndrome through gratitude practices, through being present in the moment, you know, a form of mindfulness and therapy. And it helped her own what was true about her work and her career and let go of what wasn't hers or wasn't true so that the voices of imposter syndrome don't win. But here's what Michelle Obama said in that interview I mentioned earlier. And I think this is really the crux of it for most of us, especially when I think about Anita Baker and her best friend. Michelle said, quote, the person sitting next to you was told based on nothing, that he belongs there. And you were told that you weren't. Both things are wrong in most cases. With all the practice of just going into the room that you weren't supposed to be in 
and being there and occupying those seats and just doing you and knowing that your thoughts are just as relevant, your experiences are just as important, your insight is just as valuable so that you will share it and use it and practice being there. That's the work you have to do if you feel like an imposter because he hasn't given up his seat easily because a lot of times they don't even want you there even when they need you there, end quote. Compelling, right? Anita had a belief that she belonged in that room and on that stage while her friend was just standing there taking in the sights and not taking action. So imposter syndrome is an internal reflection. It's about your own thoughts, fears, and concerns. And they're usually unfounded. At its core, imposter syndrome is a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud of some kind or letting people down that's rooted in self-doubt. That self-doubt is often an inaccurate perception of reality. Let me say that again. That self-doubt is often, though not always, an inaccurate perception of reality. There's no clinical diagnosis here. This isn't a medical condition per se, but it's certainly very real to folks who experience it. This is where the similarities between imposter syndrome and the Passover paradox end. Imposter syndrome doesn't take into account the problems of systemic oppressions and marginalizations. An article from the Harvard Business Review called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome lays it out pretty plainly. According to the authors, imposter syndrome came to our public consciousness in the 70s, but it excluded the effects of systemic racism, classism, xenophobia, and other biases, took a fairly universal feeling of discomfort, second-guessing, and mild anxiety in the workplace, and pathologized it, especially for women, end quote. So there's a big gap around what could be triggering symptoms that look like imposter syndrome, but really aren't. The article suggests that we need to change the workplace so that different leadership styles and diversities are not the exception, they're the rule. Or, said another way, that all kinds of people feel like they belong and are welcome in the room. This is the slippery slope of cancel culture and how the past over paradox might be seen as imposter syndrome when it's really not. If you're in a room where you're bullied, targeted, put down or told you don't belong, you're likely to feel intimidated or unsafe. You may also then question yourself and doubt whether or not you belong in that room. See how they can be intertwined? In this case, imposter syndrome is a symptom of a bigger issue, a problem with feeling safe enough to be fully yourself in a room where you clearly should belong, but clearly aren't welcome. Enter cancel culture vultures, hate groups, and people just looking to start some shit. There are people so angered by folks who don't see the world as they do that they're on the lookout and just waiting to pounce. If you witness enough of this kind of behavior, and let's be honest, there's a lot of it going on right now, it can make you gun shy about speaking up or standing in a room where your voice is needed, but maybe not wanted. A client of mine is an accessibility consultant, and I'm reminded of the conversations we've had where they've told me that everyone, all of us, can cause harm even if we don't intend it. It's not a question of if we will cause harm, we will. We all come to the table with our own biases. It's why I can be too black for some people and too white for others. They've got biases about what I should be, how I should behave, what I should be saying or doing. When I feel safe, I can show up, advocate my position and do my thing regardless. Who cares what they say? But when I don't feel safe, that's another thing. I had a boss ask me once how I talk that black talk. And I had no problem explaining to him my racial heritage, but I did not feel safe enough to tell him that what he said was incredibly racist. He controlled my paycheck and could fire me for no reason at all. So I knew I had to be careful about what I said and how I carried myself if I wanted to keep that job. So it's not a question of if we cause harm. 
It's a question of what we do once we've caused it. How do we clean it up? How do we make amends or reparations? That's another topic for another day. Still, my client carries a fear of being caught in a cancel culture war because of who they are. Transgender, disabled, multiply marginalized. They're a walking target for hate groups in this country and are keenly aware of what one wrong move could mean for their life expectancy, not to mention their career or the body of work that they're creating. And what if I make a mistake? This is my profession. It only takes one person to call me out. Or what if I'm right? It only takes one person to not like what I have to say and it could be all over for me. As if they should be expected to be perfect simply because of their job title or their job description. This is a person who knows that we all cause harm. A person who teaches other people that harm is inevitable and yet continues to struggle with speaking up for the marginalized voices in their community because there are people in the world who don't like that they even exist, let alone what they have to say or how they say it. Now, this is an extreme example of the Passover paradox, but I want you to see that there's more than just self-doubt at play here. This is a fear of becoming a target. We lose compassion for and expect exponentially more from ourselves than we would any other human being. And it's not even because we believe we can be that perfect. It's because we're afraid of being a target and seeing all our good work get flushed down the toilet when we get called out on the harm that will invariably cause, or worse, that our very lives could be in danger. Here's the way a social media manager wrote about it on LinkedIn. Quote, the cancel culture scares the shit out of me, which adds an extra spice to my fraud sentiment. Writing for personal projects can be an intimate journey. You bring your experience, opinion, background. It's a bit of you there, sometimes a lot of you, and you might feel vulnerable. So what if you say something wrong or even inappropriate because at the time you didn't know better? Nowadays, you can get canceled. And I'm usually not afraid of being wrong, but lately, I reckon that it terrifies me to be wrong in public and consequently be canceled. It has always happened somehow throughout history, but social networks give another dimension to it. End quote. Again, it looks like imposter syndrome on the surface. But it's not. It's a symptom of other cultural and systemic issues that have nothing to do with your own sense of self, but rather an external attack from someone else who doesn't see the world the way you do. Now, if you know your shit, and you know you know your shit, it's probably not imposter syndrome so much as a fear of being canceled or being a target in some other way. It creates, as one YouTube influencer called it, an immense amount of pressure to be perfect a standard to which no human can measure up. And I found that quote in a write-up on the Carleton University website about how cancel culture is affecting the way we show up on social media. I'll link to that as well in the show notes. As I said earlier, everyone who chooses to be a rising star is going to be a target to some degree. So you have to be willing to accept that consequence in some ways. Jennifer Lopez's documentary, Halftime, shares an interesting moment where Ben Affleck asks Jennifer if the criticism and harassment that she took in her early career bothered her. And she said, well, I expected it. The trailer alone is a very revealing tell of her rise as an artist. And I'll link to it in the show notes. Lots of links today, <laughs> but it's worth it, I promise you. She said, I had to really figure out who I was and believe in that and not believe in anything else, which sounds like imposter syndrome, right? Except that in this case, she's a Latino woman, not the traditional beauty, talent, or businesswoman standard of her time by her own admission, so she expected to be talked down to regardless of her talent. So yeah, her self-esteem may have been low, but it wasn't because of her. It was because of the other voices trying to other her and keep her down. And she goes on to say that her whole life she's been, quote, battling to be heard, to be seen, to be taken seriously, end quote. It would have been very easy for J-Lo to quit at any point in time. She could have walked away anytime. 
Many other people wouldn't have had the courage to even start because of that kind of backlash, that kind of thwarting at every turn, and the system trying to keep them quiet. That is what the Passover paradox can do. You step into a space feeling like you have something to contribute, but the fear of becoming a target keeps you quiet or sends you out of the room entirely. So I'm encouraging you here to not only recognize the difference between imposter syndrome and Passover paradox, but also to have the courage to get over it and shine like the star that you are. And I don't say that as lip service. Now, this doesn't give you a pass to be an arrogant a-hole. You can't just do whatever the heck you want and the rest of the world be damned. There's a delicate balance here. Because otherwise, you end up just like the folks who've been trying to keep you down in the first place. Not cool. Instead, embrace the balance. Don't let the fear of being a target keep you from showing up in the world and sharing your great work. And be mindful that how you show up matters. And when you cause harm, be willing to clean it up and do your part to be a better human being. Because yes, there are folks who are not your target market. Your message isn't for those folks. But that doesn't give you permission to spew whatever you like in their direction. There's too much of that in the world already. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, well, I'm going to do what works for me and the rest of you can take a flying leap because you're not my people. The people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind and all that. It's a gray area. It's complicated. And the people who break through are willing to walk that line and face those complications while the people who aren't willing shrink back and we never hear about them. Does it mean you'll always be perfect? Nope. I think we've covered that here. You will get it wrong sometimes, but there's a difference between getting it wrong sometimes and purposefully seeking to cause harm. Chances are good if you're part of my world anyway, you're not that kind of person. You're actually erring on the side of caution, probably a little too much. And that's what makes it a passed over paradox. It's clear that you have the talent, the skill, the ability, the knowledge, whatever. You're damn good at what you do, but you're not getting the visibility because of that shrinking behavior. Marginalized people have a higher risk for targeting and personal safety issues. So it makes sense that we'd be more prone to staying silent or not even showing up. The opposite is also true. The fear of dying with the music still inside you. And that's the paradox. You want to be seen, you crave it, but somehow you think you have to earn it, aren't worthy of it, or will be targeted because of it. And let's be frank. There's also some shame that our society foists on people who want to be famous, that it's selfish or arrogant to acknowledge your excellence, want to share it with the world and be well compensated for it to be able to leave a lasting legacy because of it. I give you then these words from Michelle Obama's interview. Quote, you're needed at those tables. So you can't sit there wondering whether you belong because you'll waste your time in those seats and you'll hold your voice back and you won't be able to make change because you're waiting for somebody to tell you that you belong. I'm telling you, you belong. Practice a different set of messages. End quote. Look at the most successful among us. And despite how self-made they may claim to be, you'll see an entire village that made it possible. Maybe it was a supportive family member or other loved ones. Many times it's a teacher, a coach, or some other supportive figure. More and more, we're also hearing about support from mental and physical health professionals, too. Because the truth is that you're good enough. You already know that if you're dealing with the Passover paradox. So instead, you need to create a space of safety. I call it an environment of empowerment that allows you to feel safe enough to take these courageous action steps, to not just stand in the auditorium in wide wonder, but to march right up on that stage and claim your rightful place in the spotlight. You're going to hear me talking a lot more this season about being the celebrity in your niche. Why? Because I am tired of the jokers that don't belong there stealing the show. Like it or not, our society pays attention to influencers, celebrities, and other people in the spotlight. 
So I want to see more good people in those positions of influence. I want to see you standing in that light, sharing your voice, spreading your gift, your message, your influence to make your world, the world, a better place. That can't happen if people don't know who the heck you are. That can't happen if people can't find you. That can't happen if you're not even stepping into the room. Along with today's downloadable guide, I've included links to a couple of handpicked videos and a guided meditation to help you with imposter syndrome. Some of them might flip your thinking, like the idea that imposter syndrome might actually be useful in some circumstances. Dig into whatever serves you and then just release the rest because this isn't about trying to create more effort and more hard for you. This isn't me saying that you need this material because you're not good enough as you are. You already know you're freaking awesome. We just need the rest of the world to know it too. Next time, we'll explore the Passover paradox in more detail, specifically how it becomes an invisible income cap and worse, a cap on your success. So be sure you're subscribed to get notified about our upcoming episodes. And if you're loving these episodes, tell somebody, <laughs> leave a review on your favorite podcast app, send me an email or share us with your friends and colleagues. Your support is what keeps food on the table and a roof over our heads. And as I say at the end of nearly every episode, for more inspiration and education to help you unleash your star power and own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaken over at creativefreedomshow.com. You know you want to.